You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. It is Banned Books Week, so we are talking about this annual awareness campaign that is promoted by the American Library Association and Amnesty International. Banned Books Week is celebrating the freedom to read and it's drawing attention to books that have been banned or challenged over the years. So I'll be joined by youth librarian Elissa Zimmer to talk about the special role that librarians can play when it comes to providing access to any kind of book. There's a book for everyone. I was thinking about this idea of anyone's impulse to want to ban a book, and I thought of movies. And I thought about how movies are obviously a much younger art form. We've had books for, I don't know, 2,000 years. And movies have a rating system. Mm -hmm. And when I think of Banned Books Week, I think of it as kind of tied into an impulse to try to put a rating on books, right? Am I close? How do you feel about it in general? I don't know if I would qualify it as a rating system. I would more say what big sweeping ideas or themes are we covering that are possibly controversial? So it's, you know, it's so subjective. It's hard to put it on a scale. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is. And I think that, that that's an important word when we're talking about Band Books Week is subjective. I think that some of the stuff, and I don't know if you found similar things or have been in in any more intensive conversations with librarians, but some of the stuff that I see online is kind of rather intense about being anti-banning books. Banning books is is a bad thing. Hmm. And I think that generally I agree with that, but I also think that to an extent it might be a little more sensible if we try to come at it with an understanding of, well, why would this school want to ban this book? Why would this this parent or this teacher, you know, they, they are, I guess entitled, of course, to their feelings, but the library is supposed to be the objective place, right? We are not saying, hey, this book with the F word in it is so great that everyone has to read it. It's about access, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really hard. I don't like it when one person is trying to put this like huge banner, for lack of a better term, and say no one can read this book. And I feel like one thing that we're moving towards in librarianship and specifically youth librarianship, like at our at our youth conference, I want to say like two years ago, there was this whole discussion about, you know, we've got these classic books that are typically written by dead white men or older white men. Mm-hmm. Do we get rid of them? And I so I think of this like in a similar way for banned books, like we... We aren't necessarily getting rid of those books, but we just aren't spotlighting them. Uh, we aren't actively recommending them to folks, and instead we keep them on the shelf. So if someone's looking for them or asking for them, sure, like we give them out, but we make recommendations elsewhere. And so I feel like this way of thinking about banned books, that idea kind of translates to banned books because you can say, hey, like I don't want my kid to read this book, you know. Like working with a parent to find something that is more aligned with their values. And I appreciate that. And I'm like, okay, let's work within those parameters and find something that you do want to read and that is still going to get your child excited. Right. So I I feel like let's work around the problem instead of like, you know, across the board banning a book. Absolutely. And I'm going to, whether this is helpful or not, I'm going to like 
latch on to this this movie reference that I keep going with. Because it does, if you read about Banned Books Week, and there's a lot of information at ALA.org, American Library Association, that it, any sort of a request to have a book banned by a concerned party is coming from a sense of protection. They want to protect usually a younger reading audience, which is why we have a youth librarian on this podcast, from ideas that don't align with values or ideas that are just maybe difficult or maybe language that is difficult. There's lots of reasons. But the good thing is we have librarians because I could be a parent who thinks that the Marvel movies are just too violent for my child. And I mm-hmm. can then sort of have that control of, well, you, you, you're not you're just not going to watch that movie. But the librarian has the this positive role to say, well, what else? Well, maybe there's something else. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't that awesome? Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's it's interesting, too, because like my approach to readers advisory and I feel like you have to be this way with readers advisory is it's very personal. Mm-hmm. And this is what I love about being a librarian is, you know, getting to know the families and, you know, doing that relationship building so that, you know, especially if a kid is a stronger reader at, you know, a higher maturity level or something like that, you can say, okay, this book that has these more mature themes Mm. that they can digest it and it's not going to be too hard for them to understand it and that the parents are both on board and also have that same confidence in their kid that they know what their limits are. Right, right. And this uh, Banned Books Week is also not just for kids, right? Because it's for adults as well. Uh, There are some really tantalizing books on this list. And you can kind of get, I think you can get kind of really easily uh, riled up to want to, you know, quote unquote, you know, fight for your right to read. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and if you're an adult out there, you might hear that uh, something that is uh, overtly for adults, like Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer or Clockwork Orange. That, you know, hey, probably a responsible 18-year-old person who can handle this. Someone didn't want you to read this. That's kind of mm-hmm. exciting. That's sort of the fun side of of Banned Books Week. But uh, I remember being in 10th grade and my English teacher handing me the list of whatever it was at that time of 100 books that hadn't been, had been banned or challenged. That was really exciting. Mm. And that's how <laughs> I got to, to discover one of my favorite books of all time. Probably. Which is? Probably my second favorite book of all time. Actually, my top two favorite books. This is a lot of (laughs) buildup. Folks, keep listening. My top two favorite books of all time are both banned and or challenged. And they are both by old dead white men. Sorry, you listen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut and uh, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. (laughs) But when I saw Slaughterhouse-Five on a list and, you know, that has a really tantalizing title to begin with. And it made me want to seek that book out. And that book is challenged for a number of reasons. Um, it's got bad language. It's, you know, uh, got some very interesting things to say about religion and some graphic sex involved. But what, I, what can I say? I don't know. It opened my mind. It was incidentally one of my favorite books. I mean, God forbid we open minds. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. Because this could be interpreted as one book could be interpreted as offensive and it could be opening someone else's mind. So. Yeah. How about you? Do you remember when you found out that books, the idea that someone was out there trying to ban books? I don't remember when it happened. And I I feel like I just didn't have strong feelings about it, which is kind of weird. But I was such a voracious reader. Uh-huh. 
I oh this is like almost embarrassing to admit and it's not a banned book but like my mom had a Daniel Steele novel laying around the house that I read when I was like 10 years old uh-huh. and I was definitely way too young for that but I don't know I, I read it mm-hmm. like it, it expanded my worldview sure sure and then I remember there was a copy of Augustine Burroughs running with scissors that I read when I was like 15 or 16 and that was a really wild ride I don't know if you've read that book I but. have read that book and it sounds like 15 is right on the cusp <laughs> Right on the cusp of being too young. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I don't know. I guess like I just I personally never had those limits. So Mm -hmm. I guess it is kind of weird that I wouldn't think that it's inappropriate when I learned about banned books Mm because I just think like, I don't know, I'm definitely coming from a place of privilege. I'm thinking that I never had those boundaries in place. And so I never gave it a second thought. But I, I guess I just always thought it was silly. Yeah. Like really just like a baseline like, oh, that's silly. Yeah. Yeah. Often, often what constitutes the ban- the book being banned is like one sentence of one page of a 300 Ugh. page thing. Yeah. You know, it's not the whole story. I think that I just also never considered books being banned because I had adults who provided me access to the library. And I'm looking at this list that Jeff gave me of banned books just to kind of get my wheels turning. And I'm looking at Harry Potter. My uncle read Harry Potter before I did. Right. And so I was eight years old. We were visiting my uncle's house and he hands me this hardcover of Harry Potter and just says, oh, I think you'll like this. And that's how I started reading Harry Potter. So having, you know, not just my parents, but having like another trusted adult in my life share a book that went on to be banned with me, like that's pretty powerful. Yeah, heck yeah. And the same sort of with me as a fifth and sixth grader. I should have brought this anecdote up earlier, but my aunt is a librarian, has been a librarian for a long time, is a sub-librarian here. And by the time I was in fifth and sixth grade, she exposed me to Fahrenheit 451 because of that. I mean, oh my God, if anyone's listening to this podcast and you haven't read Fahrenheit 451, go right now, just stop the podcast. I because, haven't read it. Oh my gosh, well... <laughs> It's it's got such a cliche sort of concept now, like, oh, there's a future, a dystopic future where people are burning books. And it sounds but obviously there's so much more to that. But, you know, Ray Bradbury is his if he has a religion, it's writing. If he has a religion, it's reading. And it's it's just a nice little science fiction love letter to reading. So thankful that my 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 aunt exposed me to that opened my mind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you listen, I wanted to ask you to comment more on the list that you have there. But if you just go on the Internet and you did look at the American Library Association, you see some of the most challenged books of the last year or the last decade or the last 20 years. They're often juvenile books. They're often kids books. Yeah. So the one of the first books I'm looking at is Bridge to Terabithia. And if you're a regular podcast listener, you'll remember one of the first episodes I was on was with a local English teacher, Mr. Blatt, and he loves this book. Like mm-hmm. I cannot emphasize it enough. And so we did end up doing it for middle school book club. So I had to read it again for the first time since I was in sixth grade. And, you know, just looking at this list that I have, it's challenged because... There's offensive language in it, and I mean by today's standards, it's like really mild swearing Mm -hmm. and promoting the occult. And I believe (laughs) that some people may have issue with the like the issue of death in this book. So the death of a child. But I mean, it's so I was converted after reading this book. Uh I've never read it. My Oh, gosh. I just I just gave a stare. I just got a look. But I, I mean, I shouldn't judge because, you know, I haven't read like a lot of classics. You haven't read I, Fahrenheit 451? I haven't. Which is hard to say fast, by the way. Yeah, it's a anyway. big word. 
I feel like books for children that deal with such real and raw issues like Bridge to Terabithia did, they're just, you know, irreplaceable. They're one in a million. And just the the portrayal of Jess in the book, like when he finds out that his friend has died and it brings his family together, it like there's this whole like theme throughout the book where like boys don't cry, boys aren't soft because it was written in another time. Right. His dad comes and like physically carries him. And that's really powerful. Oh, man. Yeah. Getting you in the feels. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And what so, a gesture that would have been in a prior decade, though. Yeah. And I think showing kids that these things do happen. And this is like another thing that I'm thinking about now is there are so many issues going on in the world. And I feel like it's not fair to pretend to children that they don't happen. Right. And sure, it's super hard to deal with death, you know, as a young person. But some pe- that's some people's reality. Right. And I think it's helpful to have these things reflected in literature just, you know, to provide a mirror, to provide a way of coping. And as I'm saying all of this heavy stuff, I'm thinking about other books that are on the list like Captain Underpants. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, (laughs) strong pivot there. Yes. Yes. I mean, that also just speaks to the the wide breadth Mm -hmm. of books that are banned because you could have Harry Potter for the occult or you could have a book. Because it depicts either death or sex or bad language. but mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe Captain Underpants because there's some lewd uh, subjects, suggestions oh, of toilet humor or whatever. Th- there's toilet humor. And then I believe one of the issues with that book was the way that kids treat adults in positions of authority. Ah, it's so interesting. I feel like we're litigating books. Right. Because I feel like I want to stand up for Captain Underpants right now and, and say you know, hey, there's there's a worthwhile something worthwhile here because it, you, you have to give maybe a young reader an outlet to give them the giggles and be able to immerse themselves in some probably right. harmless toilet humor. And the thing is, like, you know, it's humor, right? Like, you know, that Captain Underpants is not real life. Right. And I kind of want to segue into a, a book that I actually brought in here. Mm-hmm. This is a recently published YA novel. It's called Suggested Reading, and it's by Dave Connors. Mm-hmm. And I actually just read this in the past month. It's copyright 2019. And it's about a girl who goes to a private school and she volunteers in the school library And she mistakenly reads an email to the school's librarian that there's a list of 50 books that are going to be banned. And the school is super shady about it. They say that the books are banned. And if a kid gets caught on campus with the book, they get a warning and they get directed to the student, you know, rules or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the list is not actually in the rules. I'm going off on a tangent here, but the reason I brought up this book is I only sort of liked it. And one thing that took me out of it was the main character Clara's relationship with the school librarian. From the get-go, I was like, they are way too informal with each other. Like he makes the smoking weed reference and the fact that he left his email up and she went and read it. And I was just like, this would not happen in real (laughs) life. Yeah, like you can have a close relationship with a teacher, but as sort of like a mentor, whatever. And I just felt like they were too buddy-buddy and I was just not here for that. That's a trope I see often. Yeah. The the friendly teacher, librarian, cool teacher, cool librarian thing. Yeah. You'll see it in like Mean Girls or Perks of Being Wallflower or Edge of Seventeen. It's interesting that you mentioned Perks. So the things that I did like about this book, suggested reading, are... He he mentions 
Perks of Being a Wallflower, Catcher in the Rye, and I want to say like a couple others. And so it made me think about when I read these books. And so he, I, I felt like he didn't offer enough enough of a range of banned books. Like he, I felt like he kept um, harping after like the same ones. But I, I read these books like maybe 10 or 15 years ago and it made me think, oh, I wonder what my approach to these books would be now. Yeah. And this... This novel was really interesting because Clara on the surface was like just a diehard book lover. And obviously she was, you know, arguing for these books not to be banned. But there's some deep exploration in this novel about what is she truly fighting for. Mm -hmm. And so she actually, she starts this rogue library. She like covers all the banned books with white paper and stores them in lockers and kind of on the DL checks these books out to people who ask for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it really explores people's relationships with books. One of the characters reads Catcher in the Rye. And it hits him at this really vulnerable point in his life and he has this big reaction to it. And so I like what this book says about, you know, the points that you are in your life when you read a book. And so, you know, maybe that's threatening to some people because if you're a young person, they think you're too impressionable. Mm-hmm. But I feel like let's teach kids to like think for themselves yeah. and not not worry about them. Yeah. And let's help them like actually process through the issues that these books present. Yeah. And just to, you mentioned Catcher in the Rye, just to drive home how intense this stuff can be or used to be. In 1960, there was a teacher in Oklahoma who was fired from his job for recommending Catcher and Rye to students. Oh, geez. So reactions are, reactions can range mm-hmm. from maybe just one parent to some serious repercussions. Um, what else is on that list that you found interesting? So we have Drama by Raina Telgemeier. And that audience is like... Fourth to sixth? Yeah, it's like what we would call the middle grade range. So anywhere from like typically eight to 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So if if you know Raina Telgemeier, you know that she's an insanely popular graphic novelist. And this book, I mean, it's challenged because there's LGBTQ relationships. Like someone comes out in middle school. And that's that, enough. That's literally it. And that's enough, right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But the thing that I like about graphic novels, and I've done some of those for book clubs, is it teaches you like how to tell a story visually. So like things that we've talked about in book club are like how big are the panels? What color are they using either in like one panel specifically or throughout the book and stuff like that? So I just feel like there's so many other factors that you can consider rather than this one thing. Right, right. Yeah, no, I almost feel like we, it is, I mean, It is Banned Books Week. It's the commencement of Banned Books Week as you're hearing this podcast when it goes live. I kind of wish we could have caught up with a teacher just to get their their perspective because I feel like when you're in a library, we should say that, you know, when we regard Banned Books Week, I think that, and maybe you can comment on this as a librarian, is that a book is all about the individual's experience, right? If you read uh, Frankenstein and you have disagreements with some parts and you get to the end and you say, oh, I sort of, sort of liked it. And then I read it and then I'm like, oh, I loved this part and I think it's a great book. That We're all entitled to that independent individual experience, right? And I think that the touchy part is when 30 kids are given 30 copies of Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. So. You know, one thing that I really want to advocate for is rereading these books because I don't think I've ever been the type of person that really like upholds the classics, as I've said. And I, you know, I've gone back in maybe like my early 20s and read books on my own time. Like I remember reading Lord of the Flies because I was like, oh, I like I have to read this book. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like it. I to this day don't like it. And I read it at a young enough age to have 
just, well, it's interesting because I feel like I was kind of scarred by that book. <laughs> Say more about that. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that it, it not kind of a spoiler alert if you haven't read it, but there's a, there's a character who is a poor little child who is ridiculed and made fun of called Piggy and he, he meets a very bad end. Mm-hmm. And I have that, I read a book and that image is burned in my head. I've never seen the movies. They've made movie adaptations, but that book really got in my head. Mm-hmm. But that was completely counterpoint to your, your point about rereading the classics. Oh, yeah. So what if I return to Frankenstein? What will I find? I don't know, you know, especially in today's window. Yeah. I'm, I'm also just thinking about when I was like 15 or 16, I had a couple of English teachers who I adored and they mm-hmm. would put books in my hands because they knew that I loved to read. And I had a teacher give me perks of being a wallflower and I thought, meh. And that same teacher, and I had friends who read this book and I couldn't believe it made me feel old looking for Alaska by John Green. And that came out, I want to say it was like around 2005. Mm-hmm. And everyone was raving about this book and I like, I hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I reread it a few years ago and I was like okay like I you know I have more life experience and stuff like I can understand why I didn't like certain things but I also just want to like tell people like don't feel pressured to like stuff just because it's popular because again I was the kid who was picking up anything and everything yeah and Um, that there's a this is such a hallmark thing to say but there's a book for everyone isn't there yeah you know Well, and that's what's important, too. Like, again, like all of these authors are writing from like a white male perspective, like that's not relatable to some people. So, again, props for, you know, the diversification of youth literature, youth authors these Mm -hmm. days. So Mm -hmm. it took my high school all the way up until the year of 2002 to finally have a women's literature class and in your high school in my high school oh that's cool that's the year they instituted it so it would have been my senior year in high school and that's where i read chopin's the awakening and handmaid's tale and am all the better for it because we just were not focusing on that in any other of the curriculums it Mm -hmm. was all these old white men side note to once again talk about the intensity of banned books uh kate chopin's the awakening was uh, so controversial when it came out that for like a good part of the first year after it was published, stores were straight up refusing to sell it. Oh, Isn't wow. that crazy? That's <sighs> something. So go read that book. Like one thing that I'm reflecting on in this conversation too is that I think I always thought of myself as one of the mature readers, but I, I'm looking back and maybe I wasn't ready to fully understand mm-hmm. some books. Not that they scarred me necessarily, but I just didn't understand them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, perhaps this is where librarians do come in again with that relationship building towards readers advisory, knowing like what a kid is or isn't capable of. And even if you put a book in their hands that they don't necessarily get, Knowing how to ask those questions when they come back and they're looking for something else to kind of, you know, get their brain, brain wheels worrying, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. to reflect on things. And again, that's why I want to go back and read stuff. Like I suggested reading made me super eager to go back and reread Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, Jeff, there was one that you just mentioned that I wanted to reread and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I mentioned too many. So Awakening, many. Handmaid's Tale, Ugh. Frankenstein. It's It's gone. Oh, I love Catcher, Catcher in the Rye. See, I read Catcher in the Rye when I was like 16, 17, 18. Uh-huh. It wasn't for me, but now I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go back and read that one. I don't know. Right. And th- that's, that's what it's all about is that some books really connect with a young reader mm-hmm. and some don't. And it could be a book that someone didn't want me to read. A lot of people didn't want me to read Catcher in the Rye, but it's not like it warped my mind or disturbed me or sent mm-hmm. me down a bad path. 
truth be told, I was able to be an independent thinker and just get to the end of the book and say, yeah, that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the word we haven't really brought up is kind of the word that sort of hovers around Banned Books Week is that the reason Banned Books Week exists is also to sort of bring awareness to censorship and the idea that people try to censor these things. And, you know, I feel kind of hesitant to to get in there and critique any school that makes a decision. I'm not here to do that, but that's to bring it back to us. That's why we're here, the public library. You know, we'll say that book might have been tempted to have been censored, but you know, you can you can get it off our shelf if you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Anything else on your list you want to talk about? I don't know. Cool. Jeff, I just want people to read books. Yeah. That's all I want. <laughs> I know. And that's what you are able to, that's part of your service to the community that you get to perform with Reader's Advisory, which is a phrase we use on this podcast often, but it's kind of a cool way of saying that's that's you, the librarians, helping people find something that you think they'll like, which is an, it's just an awesome little exchange you get to have with a patron, right? I feel like we've danced around this, but I just I do want to reemphasize the point that a lot of these books are like typically classical books. Mm-hmm. I feel like Harry Potter is canon at this point, but it, it's also and I know J.K. Rowling is pretty problematic right now. problematic right now sure. yeah mm-hmm. but i mean she's still like a female author who made it really big and i feel like Raina telgemeier is really great but kind of every well laurie hall sanderson is still great but a lot of this stuff is written again by like old white men so it's kind of like i, I don't believe in banning but i also simultaneously again believe more so in like finding the right book for a person right you're you're coming from a place of like you don't have to lock those books away in a, mm-hmm. in a in a big dark box or anything you're trying to like redirect eyes elsewhere to the uh upwards to one billion other books that are in existence mm-hmm. by a diverse population of authors mm-hmm. that's important and that's what librarians are here to do any other thoughts on banned books week as we wrap up if you need book suggestions hit me up yeah <laughs> book bundles too right yes um i think a lot of people feel like they're somehow bothering us to give us a call even like weekly or every few days but it makes us so happy i order the picture books and typically people when they could come into the building would come in and literally just you know not discriminate and they would just take out literally whatever was on the new picture bookshelf and it would be empty right and so people can't do that right now and it makes my heart so happy for people to say i want books on like friendship or like how to share and stuff like that and i'm just like let me give you all of my books yeah absolutely let me carry a big bag of books across the building and put it in the curbside room and know that they are going to go and make someone really happy right and this also could just be maybe a two-minute phone call, right? If I'm a patron mm-hmm. calling you, uh, if I'm a patron who's like, I really need something to read, I might otherwise feel daunted by the the idea of going through the online catalog and maybe sort of expending 15 or 20 minutes of my own time scouring and searching and getting lost. But if I gave you a two-minute phone call, that's what we're here for. <laughs> you can get me books. I can get you so many books. Well, uh, banned books week. Uh, Be aware of censorship. Celebrate your freedom to read. We'll have links to a lot of the books that we talked about in the show notes. And that is our episode. Thanks for joining me, Alyssa. Thank you for having me.
and there's a book out there for everyone, really. My name is Jeff Milo. I'm the host of this podcast, and you just heard our chat with youth librarian Elissa Zimmer, who is in the kids' corner here at the Ferndale Library, ready to take a call from a parent or caregiver out there and uh, ready to prepare a book bundle for you. She will go to the shelves and she will find stuff for you based on a theme or a subject. So just give us a call. The phone number is on our website, ferndalepubliclibrary.org. And you've been listening to A Little Too Quiet, our Banned Books Week episode. This is the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And if you want to support this podcast, you can just go to ferndalefriends.org or tell a friend. Thanks for listening.